Save the drama for your mama. It's episode 125 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast, and today we're going to be talking about life coaching, divorce, and how it could help you. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 125 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I am your host, Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy. And today, we're going to be talking with certified life coach Sarah Kernels. Now, she profoundly cares about eliminating unnecessary drama caused by breakups, divorces, heartbreaks, and just conflict in general, so that her clients have more brain space and energy for what really matters. And after working as a stage manager and a production manager in a professional theater for over 15 years, Sarah knows a thing or two about unnecessary drama. So Sarah's signature program guides clients out of a place of suffering and into the infinite possibilities of creation. Her clients feel empowered to create a more fulfilling and exciting life than they could ever have imagined with their ex. You can get more information about Sarah and her offerings at sarahkernels.com. And I'll put that information in the show notes. But let's get right to it, everybody. Let me introduce to you Sarah Kernels. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So the first question, uh, and I didn't lie, like I told you off uh, the air a second ago, is going to be for those people who are not familiar with you, um, give everybody a little bit about your background. Um, it could be a the short version or whatever you feel. Um, just give people an idea of kind of like the path that you've taken to get to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I actually come from a background in the performing arts. Um, my profession, I've been a stage manager and a production ma- uh, manager for a theater company for over 15 years. Um, and I got to a point where I looked at my boss um, and I was working at a big theater in my area of Baltimore, Maryland. I was working in this big theater at the time and I looked at my boss and I looked at my other boss because I was assisting two people. And I thought, I don't want either of their jobs. What am I doing here? <laughs> I could relate. Yeah. Like theater, theater is a hard industry. It's a lot of nights and a lot of weekends. Um and I love the medium, but the profession didn't suit me anymore. So I just started really looking around of what what do I admire? Like, who do I really like? Who do I like? What world do I want to be a part of? And I discovered Martha Beck. I don't know if you've heard of her. I haven't. Tell everybody a little bit about her. She's Oprah's life coach. So she okay. knows her too. So um, she must be good. <laughs> she's pretty good. Yeah. And I really liked that she had this approach to the way she looked at the world. It was a combination of science. Like she did a lot of brain science talk and she did a lot of, um, I don't have another word for it, but like magic, like leaving room for mystery and for things to unfold and for things to feel good. And something in me really resonated with that. And so Mm -hmm. I signed up for her life coach training and I've been a coach uh, certified under Martha Beck's method for the last seven years. Okay. Um, and, you know, life winds around the way that it does. And I was in a relationship for five of those years. And 
we were talking marriage, we were talking kids, we were living together, we we're going to buy a house, like all of that. And it just ended. Um, I mean, I could go into details because that's kind of what you do, but essentially he changed what he wanted in his his long-term plan. He didn't want kids. That's still something that I want. Um, so a lot of things were no longer in alignment for our relationship. All right. And um, we'd had a rocky relationship of like a lot of breakups and get back togethers. And this one was the final one. Like this was it. And I, you know, I'd been a coach at that point for six years and decided to coach myself through it. And I came to the other side and I said, that's the healthiest I've ever gotten through a breakup. Like, I feel great. I didn't have any of the pull to go back or there wasn't any of the beating myself up of what did I do wrong? Should I have said something differently? Um, and I felt like, like I had my own back through the whole process of getting right. over my ex. I thought people need this. Like people need a way to do this in a healthy way. And so now that's what I do as a coach is I help people after breakups and divorces, uh, regain their own power and feel better and get over their ex. That's so awesome. I love that story. Um, mainly because you kind of, I was going to ask you if you didn't even bring it up that because you're a coach now, right. And you've been trained. And so you, you have all that information that when you were personally going through something that you would commonly coach others through, did it, were you intuitive enough to like, it clicked and like, wait a second, now I can apply everything that I've learned to myself because that could be a hard kind of connection to make. Um, and, you know, you hear all the time, like therapists have their own therapists, right. Which I think is great. And so, Right. You were able to do it on your own, though. Like you didn't or did you need help and get assistance from another coach to kind of help you go through the process of the coaching? I think it takes a team. I mean, you said this, you say this a lot in your podcast. You need a team. Yeah. Um, and I've had a therapist for a long time. Um, and I've really committed to making sure I have my own personal coach. Like I've had a business coach before. Right. But I have coach for my life. Um, and so I coached myself and it was like, they were my support teams of what could they see in my blind spot that I couldn't see for myself. Exactly. All yeah. Right. That's awesome. You know, I love that. And it, and it holds true, right? It's a, it is a team approach. And like you said, you hear me kind of say it at nausea, nauseam, <laughs> but, but I, I, I have to keep hammering it home because it, it works. I really, I really believe in it. And, and if you have a good supportive team of objective people to help you and guide you, then um, you will get through whatever it is you're dealing with. Right. Yeah. And, and they dealt with different things. A lot of people ask me a lot of what's the difference between a therapist and a coach. And my therapist and I went deep into um, my old patterns, like from childhood of right. any, anything like that. That's what we did. And then with my coach, I could really sit in, what do I want my future to be? Like, what do I want to believe is going to be possible for me in the future? And I could really root myself in what I wanted to create going down the road. Yeah, no, that's a great way to describe it. The way I think about it is like clinical therapy, therapy or talk therapy um, kind of goes into your past and figures out how you, how your past has 
gotten you to where you are today and, and dealing with things in your past. So you don't, so it doesn't mess up your future, but a coach really doesn't look backwards. They consider, okay, here we are today. Here's where you want to be. How are we going to get you to move there? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, yeah. like little past stuff comes in because it yeah, affects it has to. how we address our future. Right. So like I can tackle that, but yeah. 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 But it's, it's just a different core approach. Um, the things. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, and I could totally sympathize, like I said, with, um, not wanting your boss's job in the future. When I was practicing law, it, it was the same thing. I was at a firm and I said to myself, I don't want to be a partner one day. Like it really, I don't in any way, shape or form <laughs> want, yeah. want, 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 want to be involved with what they're involved with on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so that's kind of how I transitioned from practicing, to being a coach myself. So yeah, yeah two yeah. pieces of It's still my day job. Like I'm, I'm still building my business as a coach and I still have my day job in theater, but my perspective towards it is so different, which is also something I've worked really hard on of, um, I don't hate my job. And I, I feel like I apply that a lot to my clients of like, you, you have an ex and maybe you have kids and you have to co-parent. You don't want to hate your situation. You want to look at your situation with as much compassion as possible and look towards the solution so that you're not always in this state of like fighting what actually is your situation. Right. Kind of being present and just being satisfied with where you are, where you are. Right. Right. Um, Right. And right. I know so many people in their professional lives right? They're always striving. They, they want that promotion. They want their boss's job. They want to get to that next rung. Um, but sometimes that doesn't need to be a goal. And sometimes if you're happy where you are, be happy where you are and thrive. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? I like that. I like that. Um, so let's talk about kind of, we well, we said we we're going to talk about codependency. And I want to talk about that because I think a lot of people listening to this um, at some point in their lives, and maybe they're there right now, would fall under the label of being codependent. But that's such a clinical term too that I, I try to stray from, you know, labeling everything. Um, you know, like calling somebody somebody a narcissist. I try to say it's like I don't care what you call them, but it's the conduct that we're talking about. It's the behavior, right? So I approach the same thing like this, but. Like, let's define it. So we have like a baseline of what we're going to talk about, like codependency. What What is that? Yeah. So I, I've studied and I work with um, Terry Cole, who wrote the book Boundary Boss, which I highly recommend to anybody out there who feels like they are struggling in this codependency world or they struggle with boundaries. Highly recommend her work. I'm the only coach she's ever trained. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, she's a great mentor to me. Um, codependency is sort of why I found her. Uh, I'm a recovering codependent myself. And she describes it as being overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, the circumstances of the other people in your life to your own detriment, where it interrupts your own um, sense of peace or your own well-being. So it's the sacrificing of yourself because you think you have to control what's happening for other people. So let's kind of take a little mini deep dive into that for a second. Yeah. So can you give me like an example? It's not, 
it's not caring about others, right? Because right. That's, a good, that's a good quality. Um, right. Um, and, and we want to care and be empathetic. But it's like what you said, right? It's when it kind of gets to an extreme nature where you're doing it at the detriment uh, to your own well-being. Correct. Yeah. And so what's really interesting, what I've always liked about this kind of approach, Terry identifies an over-functioning codependent because I think so many people I know and myself included don't really uh, identify with the traditional term of codependent, you know, like you're dating an addict and um, it, it has this like old connotation from the 80s that now what it looks like is that you feel like you have to put everybody else first. You have to put their needs, their wants, their comfort above your own to the point where a lot of the people that come to me, they don't know their own preferences. They don't know what they want in life. When I ask something like, what would be success to you in coaching? They're like, I don't even know. It's like, I bet you could tell me what success for your ex-partner would look like. I bet you know what it is for that person. Right. And answer it for yourself. Um, and, and the difference with caring is that there's, it's coming from your, your, what's that saying of like, fill your own cup first, like fill your own teacup to the point where your teacup is overflowing and you can take care of people from the overflow. Right. But if you have an empty teacup, you can't serve anybody. I kind of like the analogy. Tell me if you, if you like this too. And if you don't be honest, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I always go back to like the, the plane analogy of, you know, a plane's going down and the little air containers come popping out from the roof, right? Everybody's freaking out. And you, you maybe you have your, your child next to you um, or somebody that needs help. But before you put the mask on them, you got to put the mask on yourself, right? Because you, unless, you can't take care of somebody else unless you're taken care of to a point and then you could assist somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. Yeah, sure. same thing. I like it. Um, I like that overflowing though analogy too, because that's visually more compelling. <laughs> I like the visual of like, because we can all see a teacup with a saucer and you fill your teacup to the point that it overflows and people get what's in the saucer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just much better than the scary plane analogy, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and it's interesting that you bring up narcissist because codependents and narcissists are technically, I mean, they're going to fit together. Right. Um, they love each other. Well, the narcissist loves the the codependent, right? I, I think narcissists are somebody who fits that kind of a profile. They seek out people who exhibit codependent behavior because that's that's fuel for them and, and they, they can manipulate them and they know how to do that. And it and then the, the codependent kind of falls right into that mold, um, even un, unknowingly at first. And right. And that's how that whole dynamic forms. Um, they kind of feed off each other in a dysfunctional. They're, they're both coming kind of from a similar place where they don't have a great sense of self. They don't have a full, they don't have a full teacup. They don't have a full sense of self-love. They don't have a great self-esteem and they are finding it in the other. Whereas the, the narcissist is sort of, um, preying on the energy, the love, the care of the other person and sucking that in for themselves, the codependent thinks if I give, then I'll be loved. Right. And if I keep giving, give more, I just have to give more. Right. And then things will be better. I have to give more and it'll be better. Um, Yeah, absolutely. But how does, how does one become a codependent? Right. We're not born like that. Right. So how does that happen? 
a lot of things. I, I don't like to make generalizations for gender, but I will say women are more often socialized to be the giver, to be the nurturer. They see the example in how their mother behaves. They see the example in how their grandmother behaves. So this stuff does get passed down in patterns of behavior, generation after generation after generation. And I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't go back that far of women were highly dependent on their heterosexual male partner yeah. to provide safety and an income and support for the family. Um, so we're, we're socialized to it in many ways. And that's not to say that men aren't codependent. I've known plenty of men that are codependent. Um, but it's really, it's something that is taught and valued in our culture that we should all be giving and focused on other people at our own expense. I mean, if you think of it, it's like the definition of a good mom of like, she puts her kids first, right? That's, That's a great not, example. Yeah. It's right. not necessarily healthy if you're really struggling to function. Would you say, Sarah, that there's a difference between like it... I'll just say between the word sacrifice and and being a codependent. And, and when we use the word codependent for today, well, it's, we're using it in kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to say negative connotation, but it is kind of like, right? Because nobody wants to be a codependent. That's not a good thing to be, right? Um, so when we say sacrifice, they're like, oh, I'm sacrificing um, for my partner. Um, in, in whatever way. Um, is there a difference between sacrificing and, and codependent behavior? I mean, is, are they, or are they both one and the same? Would you say? And I think a sacri sacrifice sounds so um, dramatic that I'm curious where, where's that coming from? Like, why do we feel like you have to sacrifice? I, I wonder if choose, you know, there's choosing. I'm choosing making, is better. Yeah, sacrifice is traumatic. Right? Um, <laughs> um, a victim. Right. Because it's, oftentimes I hear people I work with say that and 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 use that word. And and then when you think about it, we I we hear it a lot, whether it's in social social constructs like movies, TV, and and I feel like we're kind of so socialized. And maybe like you said, stereotypically for women more than men, but like one person in a relationship is sacrificing sometimes for the other person for their happiness. Um, or it, it could be something minor, like, Oh, you know, I'm sacrificing where I want to go to dinner tonight to go where you want to go, or I'm sacrificing the movie I want to watch to watch the movie that you want to watch. And then it can of course escalate right into more serious things. And oftentimes I hear people say, oh, it's healthy to sacrifice. That means you're doing it out of love you, you, and you love the other person. So you're sacrificing a little bit one time or two, you know, not all the time, but uh, it's okay to sacrifice. But then the more I think about it, I don't know it's, it's, if that's the right way to kind of phrase the whole dynamic of what's going on, right? Like what's when does a healthy relationship turn into a dysfunctional relationship where you're now you're dealing with codependency? that makes any sense would you be open to a little like fun exercise together oh let's do it okay so something i do with my clients is i'm going to teach you how to tune into your body and your feeling states of how you're feeling so that you sort of have an understanding 
of, of, well, the powers of your choices, right? And like, what feels good? What doesn't feel good? And I'm going to always have my clients lean towards what feels good because you're going to have better results if you're leaning towards what feels good. Right. So um, do a little exercise with me. So I want you to um, try this phrase and tell me how it feels in your body when you feel this. I love to vomit. You want me to say it out loud? Yes, say it out loud. And then notice, like, how does it feel in your body when you say that? I love to vomit. Kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my throat closes when I say that. I kind of have, like, a knot in my stomach. I'm I'm visualizing vomit, right? And then then not to get too nasty, but, like, then I'm visualizing, like, what it would taste like in your mouth. Yeah. 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 And, like, it feels... I don't know about you, but like, I feel a closure. Like I feel my body closing on itself. Do you get that? Um, Not quite. Mine gets protective of like, ew, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing that mentally. Um, Like my face is like going, ugh, you know, I don't feel anything physically like tightening up on me. Um, But yeah, just the, the whole idea. It's like, I feel like my mouth, I'm going like, you know, yeah, yuck. <laughs> there's a there's a yuck feeling about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wipe it from your memory. Like forget it. You could shake your shake your hands or whatever. Um and let's try something uh like like your favorite food. Like I love lasagna. What's your favorite food? Because I love I love pizza. Great. How's it feel to say I love pizza? Good. I want some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were doing this at a pizzeria. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm gonna slice right now. Right? I guess it would be hard to talk. But <laughs> yeah, our bodies are gonna respond to it. Like the first one, it's really gonna respond to the fact that we were describing something yucky and you're lying, right? Our body has a response to that. And what I work with my clients on is we tune that so that you get to read your body the way that you could read a compass. You need to know your body's signals. So if you say the phrase, um, I'm sacrificing what I want to do what you want, you get to tune into your body and see how that feels. Hmm. Right. And, and I play with that. Go ahead. So, so when you do something like that, and you have them like repeat that phrase back. Is it the type of thing was like, how does that make you feel? And if you kind of get the same physical reaction that you did to the, you know, I want to vomit, then is that a sign that something's wrong, right? When you say I want to sacrifice, like it's, it's making you feel this is like a red flag. I would say it's away from your true north. Like if we keep with the compass, because it's not necessarily like, it's not necessarily bad. I don't necessarily have to label everything like good or bad or right or wrong. And sometimes that could actually not be helpful. Um, we could play with like, maybe it's swapping the word sacrifice for choice. Does it feel like, do you actually feel empowered when you say I'm choosing to do what you want to do instead of what I want to do. Right. That's a, that's something that I am doing. I'm making that active choice. Right. And how does that feel in your body? And if it still feels icky, well, that's information. Your body's trying to tell you this is something you don't like. 
And when we continually do stuff we don't like, it adds up and it leads to resentment, which is really toxic. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants nobody wants to harbor resentment. Um, all right, so that's interesting. I like that exercise. Um, so that's something that is that something everybody can try at home. Sure, please, everybody try that. Like, actually, <laughs> would say the lie of "I love vomit" and see what happens for you, and get curious, and then say something that's true, like "My name is," and you can fill in the blank with your name. Um, and see how your body responds to your own name. You can, um, the fun one, I do this in the grocery store. If you wear flat shoes, like don't, ladies don't go in wearing your heels and your wedges, go in in flat shoes. And um, if you have a food allergy, stand in front of the food you're allergic to and your body weight will actually shift back away from it. It's very subtle. And you'll notice like a little rock back in your heels. And then if you go stand in front of something you really love or um, like the produce aisle, like I love a lot of produce. So you could probably go stand in front of like anything that's in season and notice if your weight tips a little forward, like a little into your toes, um, like it's leaning towards it. Like it wants it. Kind of like a magnet. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Like I'm not a big seafood fan. And so when I go near the seafood section, like I'll go and get, salmon or something right I, I don't mind that but like shellfish and all that stuff i don't i don't eat that and i don't care for it and so when i go near that i i kind of like stand i i noticed this already like i, I kind of stand afar i don't get up too close because i don't like the smell and yep yeah yeah <laughs> yep. yeah that's, that's your body telling you things giving you signals that you get to learn how to read it how, how does um how can somebody identify if they are a codependent or they have that type of behavior? I mean, is that something that should be conscious to people or is it a lot of times like they have no idea until they work with somebody like you and it comes out like, Oh my God. I think, you know, for me, the way that it started, I think I was listening to podcasts just like this. I was listening to somebody and somebody said it and I had this like glimmer of recognition of what they're describing sounds really familiar. Um, and I'm happy to, I'm happy to share my personal stories of like my experiences with that. Cause that helped me hearing other people's stories. Um, and then I started the Google search, like many of us do of like, what is codependency? <laughs> what would we do without Google? I don't know. What did we do without Google? Right. I mean, we both lived in a world without Google. We had to use our brains and ask our parents questions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank God we have Google. <laughs> um, well, here, because we only have a few minutes left. I, I love stories. And I think that's a great way for people to kind of um, learn and understand and, and better and, and kind of associate if they can identify with somebody else who went through something similar. So if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your story um, about your kind of discovery that you were codependent. Yeah, uh, it, this goes back several years. Um, so I had been dating somebody. I, I'm actually great at the on again, off again relationship. Um, and <laughs> that's probably one of the clues. And um 
one of the times this person and I got back together, he he asked if he'd be if we could explore non-monogamy. And I have really no interest in non-monogamy. And I still said yes. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's, 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 let's try, right? And we established ground rules. Um, which so in other words, he wanted his cake and eat it too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to date multiple people and didn't want to just choose one. And I established ground rules of, you know, we have to have open communication. We have to talk about this. There were people I was aware of. And if it's going to be anybody outside of that, we need to talk about it. Uh, he did not follow the rules and I was still really heartbroken of like I thought I loved this person I thought this person loved me to the point that we broke up he dated somebody else for a while they broke up we got back together and I and I got back together with him without without question really like I was Mm. just so grateful to be chosen I just wanted somebody to love me as much as I loved them. I wanted, I was craving reciprocity and seeking from it in a really um, unequal place. And unsurprisingly, he cheated on me. We were not in a non-monogamous relationship. We were in a monogamous relationship. He cheated on me. I found out on Valentine's day of all days. Oh, Jesus. And I was still the one that begged for him to stay, for us to work together, to work on it. Like we could get through this and we could talk it out. We could, we could figure this out. Like, what was I doing wrong that he wasn't choosing me? Like what was wrong with me? It was a lot of that, of like turning it to myself of if I just did something better, if I showed up more supportive, if I communicated more. Um, did he make it, did he make you feel like it was you? No. Or did he take accountability? He, he had a lot, he had a, he had his own like shame and embarrassment about it. So I'm not going to say he took accountability. Um, he did a lot of the, you deserve somebody who loves you better than I can, which is just like a dagger in the heart of like, but I wanted to be you. I wanted it to be this person in front of me. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me, to which I would respond with, like, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, You're right. Like, it would pull me in. I, I don't think he was doing it consciously to manipulate me. I, I think that he was coming from his own problems. Right. Yeah. But you were trying to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. And. Right. You would you would do whatever it took to make it work. Yes. I think I think that's a that's a that's a big sign, a big signal for people. Like, are you willing to do anything? Can he cheat on you? And most of my listeners are, are women, so we can use that analogy. Um, you know, did he cheat on you? And you know, you you'll work with him uh, through it. Which, by the way, is fine. Um, I I don't want to say just because you know there's infidelity doesn't mean the relationship can't be repaired. I mean, it, it definitely can be. If both people are on the same page and sincere and and put in the work, but it's kind of like your situation. It doesn't matter. He could do it once, twice, um, in your face or not. It, it you'll do whatever it takes, whether they will or not, right? And and you're kind of like just looking inward on well, it's me. What am I doing wrong, right? And what can I do to fix it more than them? 
Is that, right. Yeah. 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 I took all of it on myself. Right. I'm, I'm the problem. Obviously, I must be the problem here. Otherwise, you would choose me. You seem to be a great guy. I'm a great girl. Why aren't you choosing me? Must be me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so then how did you and, and we'll wrap it up kind of on this note. I mean, I could talk to you for hours on this, but, and, and perhaps I'll have you on again in the future if you want. Sure. But um, so how did you like turn the corner and and take steps? Because that's what I want to leave people with. You know, OK, maybe you fall into this category of a codependent, maybe not. But everybody has their own demons. Everybody can work on things. Um, how did you turn the corner and then take steps to say, yeah, this this whole approach is not good for me? Yeah. And it kind of goes back to where we started. I actually had to have like a really good therapist (laughs) who really worked seriously on. I had a belief that I had to earn my worth and I had to earn my love and I had to be perfect to get it. Mm. I'm not going to say I'm like hundred percent healed. I still talk to this therapist and I still work on it, but, um, putting my focus on, on, myself in a healthy way of I'm inherently worthy as I am and I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to do anything. How can I love myself as I am? And, and that, that steps, right. Of like, I don't start from where I was and like, I did a program and I'm healed. Um, it took years, it took years of work and, um, therapy, journaling, um, travel, (laughs) a lot of like self-discovery. And, and I think that's also why I focus on this as a coach. I don't want people to have to wait years to figure this out. I want them to have it faster than I did and have not the shortcut, but like, let me give you a map, right? Let me tell you, it starts with discovering what are your current thoughts? What are your current patterns? Where do we raise your awareness so that you're seeing clearly, like we're going to hold that flashlight and we'll look at things. What's not working? Where am I sabotaging myself? Okay, great. How do I then move to um, building knowledge in myself of like, who am I? What makes me special? What makes me great? Um, And then how do I learn to love that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And and what I loved about what you said there is, and tell me if I, if I have this right, you know, there's no overnight answer to to changing um, or wanting to improve your life. Like you said, it took you years. It takes everybody a different amount of time. And it's a journey. Um, like you said, you're still on your journey. And I think everybody's on a journey their whole life. Life is a journey. Um, but people, and I, and I preach this, you, you know, you have to put in the work, right? It doesn't happen. There's no quick fix most of the time. You just have to put in the work to want to improve yourself and improve your future relationships. And and that's how it it happens. It's a gradual thing where one day you'll wake up, hopefully, um, or you'll realize that you're in a relationship that is healthy um, and doesn't have the same characteristics of your prior dysfunctional ones. Um, You know, understanding that no relationship is perfect, right? But um, there's red flags and there's there's dysfunction and and then there's dysfunction. Yeah. So, but it's a journey and and people have to be willing to kind of walk the path um, instead of want that instantaneous. I feel like everybody wants instant results. Yeah. 
Yeah. I used to be a personal trainer too. I did that for a little bit and you don't go from like never working out to lifting 50 pounds. You right. Start five. You got to start with 10, like build it up and it takes time. That's a perfect example. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. Sarah, this has been super fun and um, I hope people enjoyed and, and found the goal that we kind of you brought to the table here today and and there's a lot more to be said how can people find you work with you contact you yeah absolutely and i'd love to hear from people i'd love to hear on instagram it's just my name sarah kernels which will have spelled out in the notes because it's not <laughs> the easiest <laughs> i'd love to hear like a takeaway from people if you want to send me a dm or send me a screenshot and tag me um or come find me over on my website i'm do a blog where I post stories and I share insights and um, all the things I'm working on and thinking about. That That's great. And, you know, I love, thank you for being so open about your personal life too. Um, and I find the best coaches, the best therapists are those who have kind of gone through their own journey um, before they can help you. Um, and, and so right now, your teacup is kind of overflowing a little bit and you're ready to help yes. others, right? See, <laughs> See how we came full circle? <laughs> now I have this craving for tea. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great having you on and uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. Thanks so much, Jason. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Sarah. She really is um, awesome. And as a life coach, she can help you um, handle all the conflict and drama that you are going through in your divorce um, so you are on a more even playing field and ready to get through it in the best and healthiest way as possible. Now, if you are looking for help with your divorce and looking for some divorce coaching, look no further. Email me, jason at jasonlavoy.com. I'll get right back to you. I offer free strategy sessions uh, to see what's going on with you, if and how I can help. And then we just take it from there. Also, if you like what you're hearing, please take a minute or two and leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts. I'm really trying to get the reviews up there to spread that algorithm and spread the word about the podcast. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.